Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Jeff Branke and Anna Wells. We each have more than 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Each week, we take the five most popular stories on our website and discuss the implications they might have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Anna at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. How are you doing this week, Anna? Uh, good. We are waiting on a winter squall right now. Mm. And so if the podcast goes quickly, that's why. Yeah, it's uh, that's a warning I've never received on my phone before. Yeah, it's a race against time. We we had a Google squall, and now we know yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a race of, against time. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, in this situation, but should we not have our phones in here because that alert's going to go off? It might. Oh, right. A squall alert. Plan for the squall alert. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows. Uh, Jeff, how are you mentally preparing for this approaching squall? Um, both the same way I prepare for any inclement weather here in Wisconsin. I think we've just, they feel like we've seen it all. Yeah. So, I yeah. Mean, Jeff well, just rolls his eyes at the as, weather. Yeah. yeah. As I said before we got in here, the weather's not real. You know, meteorology <laughs> is, a, is, a, is a sham. It's a sham. All right. <clears throat> before we get started, we wanted to thank our sponsor this week, Oil Eater. Oil Eater cleaners and heavy duty degreaser were specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used by industries throughout the world. The company's ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used with parts washers, shop floors, equipment, and more. Click the link below for a free sample or visit IEN.com backslash oil eater. Do we have that link below for people that are watching live, Eric? Oh, right. It's going to be below. It's not below now. It'll be below soon. All right. Uh, Let's jump into our first story this week. Our fifth most popular story DeLorean plots electric comeback. The DeLorean is back. Many have tried to resurrect the ill-fated brand, but a new effort is doubling down with a promo that kicked off on Super Bowl Sunday. It was a quick 15-second ad that left a lot to the imagination, but was still unmistakable. The next day, the company said that it would debut a new electric DeLorean this year. Now, The DeLorean company is building a new headquarters in San Antonio, Texas, and plans to hire 400 executives, managers, and engineers. Anna, they say the future was never promised. (laughs) Do you know what that means? (laughs) (laughs) That was a good start. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know what that means, but I... I, Yeah. It seems like a bad lead-in, just like... (laughs) Wait to see what's next, but the future was never promised. Very that, dystopian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, I know. Like, it does not sound like a, a optimistic mission statement. <laughs> um, your thoughts on the comeback, the, like, fourth or fifth comeback yeah. for the DeLorean? You know, I think, like, maybe now is the time. If there's any time to, cre- like, try to create, like, a cult brand that, mm-hmm. that I don't know, I, it's never worked before with DeLorean, but maybe now. And here's, here's why I think that. Like, if you look at the target demographic for this vehicle and that by that i mean those for whom this invokes the most nostalgia mm-hmm. which i'd argue is like gen x and elder millennials because oh, that, that was us. like yeah yeah oh, that yeah. was like key target audience for back to the future right mm-hmm. and without back to the future no one cares about this car <laughs> oh, right yeah. i mean yeah. i'm uh, so yeah. okay so if you look at gen x households like they earn more than generations um any other generation right mm-hmm. now and they also spend the most on goods and services and 
The Wall Street Journal has also pointed out that elder millennials are finally closing the wealth gap between them and their parents, which took a long time. Mm-hmm. So uh, while their parents were reaching some of the milestones earlier, like buying a house and stuff, uh, elder millennials are kind of finally catching up to that that stuff. Oh, OK. So maybe the group of people that this specifically appeals to are finally becoming financially stable enough to ever want to consider it. Because I think they really hold the cards to its success. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, like, what's the appeal? Like, there's dozens of electric cars out there and dozens more on the way. Mm -hmm. If you really love the Gullwing door, you can get a Tesla that does that. True. Um, To me, it just like the brand itself relies so vastly on the nostalgia factor that you really have to look at, like, do the right people who want it have the money? And they might right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I don't we'll see. I mean, I'm still like, I have no idea if this works or not. Cost is going to be a big factor. But Jeff, when you saw this ad, I mean, did it tickle your fancy? <laughs> I don't think I've ever used that phrase to describe anything I've ever felt, but get used to it. Yeah. Then again, the future is a what future is not promised. The future so was never promised. Maybe there's something boating for me there. Yeah. Um, I actually somehow I missed this commercial. Oh, I did okay. not see this during the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually thought this story was going to be higher up. Yeah. I thought it would do mm-hmm. um, do a little more. But anyway, it's interesting because I'm going to start out being a little negative, but I'm going to bring it back, guys. So just <laughs> stick, stay with me, okay? This is new positive, okay? Jeff. Mm. He's new. Ironically, some of the biggest issues mechanically with the the, uh, the DeLorean were the leaking doors. It was a huge issue whenever it rained yeah. with this vehicle. Okay. Those crazy doors, which is like the staple of, of, of the look for it. Mm-hmm. The other thing, they're going to make this an EV. The electrical system for the initial DeLorean was a mess. There was issues with instrumentation, starting, battery failures, everything. The electrical system was really challenging for those who had one. So to reintroduce this as an EV is interesting Mm -hmm. on those two fronts. Um, I also kind of wonder what they're going to do from a design perspective because it does have such an iconic look to it. Mm -hmm. It's a two-seater. The power that it was putting out when it was the DeLorean Kind of the equivalent to a lower power V6. So even though it had that sort of sporty, futuristic look to it, it wasn't a real powerful car. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of mesh some of those traditional things that do have these generations connected to it through Back to the Future and other stuff and how they bring that forward. It'll be interesting to see it. One of the reasons I think they can feel good about this is when I was looking at the DeLorean, I know you're going to make a different analogy. I was thinking of Indian motorcycles. Mm-hmm. You guys familiar with mm-hmm. Indian? Oh, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, iconic brand, older than Harley Davidson, basically put a lot of their manufacturing and product development into the war effort during World War II. Afterwards, had to play a lot of catch up and really never did. Company went through six, seven, eight different ownership entities and stuff like that to try to relaunch it. Polaris bought it about 10 or 11 years ago, and it's finally really found its home mm-hmm. because it's been able to keep that classic Indian motorcycle look, but bring in a lot of new features that motorcycle owners are looking for. In 2020, thanks to the pandemic, it saw something like a 48% increase in sales. Oh, wow. And it actually maintained that in 2021, saw another 12% uptick. So when you look at some of these nostalgic vehicles, mm-hmm. there is a way to make them work and sort of leverage that brand, that look, and also bring in some of the new features that people are going to want to spend the money on it. When this was rolled out, the DeLorean was about twelve grand, which was on the higher side for a mm-hmm. new vehicle. We'll see where they come in on a price point. 
And uh, with all those other sort of aesthetic features, they're going to play a big role in the consumer's opinions on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they're going to keep leaning into the back to the future tie-in, you have to have a flux capacitor in there, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, it just has, it's got to be there. It's got to be in the back somewhere. It's, uh, I think I'd rather have a non-leaking door. I mean, you I'm sure you can bu- customize it. You want like a bunch of like fake 1980s controls that you just like put a sticker <clears throat> down on your dashboard and then you can basically, just, yeah, they're yeah, just okay. going to put, you know, very involved decals on a volt. <laughs> um, and I got to say, Indian motorcycles has a special place in my heart because that was my mother's first motorcycle It was the first motorcycle I ever rode hmm. like uh, not safely, not safely, but it was a lot of fun. Awesome bikes. Yeah. Super cool looking. <clears throat> and so what I was going to compare this to is that when they came back out with the Hummer and said the Hummer was going to be an EV, there was, I was surprised by the amount of intrigue because it seemed like collectively the movement to kill the Hummer, everyone kind of seemed on board with that. Like mm-hmm. the Hummer can go away and there's not going to be any, any love lost. But, you know, it's proof that nostalgia is not relegated to, you know, clothing trends and movie trends. I mean, a, an original movie hasn't been made in quite a few years now because uh, because, you know, everyone's nostalgic about the old ones and want to bring their ki- want to bring their kids. Mm-hmm. But I thought it opened up the po- the possibility of some different, you know, uh, cars that are models that have a terrible history, but popular history that could maybe come back as an EV. Oof. So what about an EV gremlin? No. Why not? Those are horrible. They were horrible, but so is the DeLorean. And people are just be like, you know, now if you see it on the car, you're like, oh, yes. But there's like a general appreciation of the DeLorean or whatever it is from a, a yeah. social perspective. Have you ever talked to anybody who owned a Gremlin? Yeah. Nobody liked them. No, that's why I think there's a, there's a wheelhouse here with the like good, bad. So like I was thinking the Gremlin, <laughs> maybe the Chevy Vega, uh, maybe an oh. EV Pinto, bring a Pinto yeah. back or an EV Yugo. Now- an EV Yugo that has Gen Z written all over it, all over it. Oh, those are some big swings, bro. You killed I mean, positive Jeff. DeLorean's a big right. swing. This is a big <laughs> swing. Five minutes in. I mean, right now, DeLorean as a company is only selling aftermarket parts and, uh, you know, clothing. So <laughs> can we can we talk about the stuff on their site? Oh yeah, please. Other oh, merch. How yeah. much would you sell? How much would you pay for a DeLorean hooded sweatshirt? I would take it for free at a trade show. And if you check out DeLorean.com and look at the pricing on some of this stuff, like 125 bucks for a uh, hooded sweatshirt that says DeLorean on it. I mean, premium brand, I guess that's, um, that's interesting. Well, <clears throat> the reason I talk about the, uh, the back to the future tie in is because they lean on it with all of their marketing. That's what I'm saying. Um, they have to, that's yeah, all they have. Yeah. So when I signed up to be notified when this new DeLorean is uh, mm-hmm. available, they sent me an email that says, in all caps, the future was never promised. Congratulations on joining the journey that is DeLorean. All caps. Over the next several months, you will have an amazing opportunity to be exposed to a curated history of where we've been and what we've been creating over the last 40 years, which I think is just hats and hoodies, and what the future holds for the next iconic DeLorean. You didn't Welcome give, to the future. You didn't give them any money, did you? No, not yet, but I plan to. I love the look of concern on your face. Like, what? What? David, mm, no. Yeah. Don't get involved with these people. No, this is one of the good. Did you watch the documentaries? Of, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you talk about the manufacturing issues. Like, it's any, any decision that you could make poorly, they made. True. And it's just, <laughs> you know, so I think there's, I think there is an alley here 
if you can make a good car, tie in nostalgia, I think you can find a niche audience similar to the Indian motorcycle or the Hummer. Yeah, time will tell, but nothing's promised. Nothing is promised, but the EV Gremlin's next. I'm going to put money on it. it, Don't put any money on anything. (laughs) Yeah. Put your wallet down. I will take that bet. This is is one of the I will take that bet. There will never be an EV version of any of those vehicles. All right. We're going to put it down right here. It's in stone. Um, (laughs) No. Captured by time, but the future has no promises. That's Mm -hmm. right. This was actually, this is one of the safe pre-orders where I can get my money back. Not like those other ones. No, because the future was never promised. So they're going to just say like... (laughs) What are, right? Like when I asked for my money back, yeah. what did you expect? Yeah. The it was, initial it, email said nothing was promised. It was in all caps. <laughs> David. I thought you were a reader. All right. Our fourth most popular story this week. The worst truck bottleneck in America. On February 9th, the American Transportation Research Institute released its annual list of America's 100 most congested bottlenecks for trucks. The outfit uses GPS data from more than 1 million freight trucks to analyze congestion. Of course, it was in New Jersey. The ATRI declared that the I-95 and SR-4 intersection in Fort Lee, New Jersey, to be the worst truck bottleneck in the U.S. for the fourth straight year. That stretch of roadway is a major logistics corridor in the ports of New York and New Jersey and general traffic in America's largest metropolitan area. Average speed here is 30 miles per hour, 22.4 during peak traffic. Jeff, Mike, who did this story, Mike Hockett, said this corridor looks like a clump of wet spaghetti. That may be the most accurate reporting yeah. Mike Hockett has ever performed. I'm, I'm talking, I mean, Mike. that is dead nuts on. I mean, that is, that is very accurate when you look at it. It's, you know, this is the dynamic we're dealing with right now. More e-commerce growth. We've seen like 5 million more warehouses added to the U.S. landscape over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Well, you need more semis to get products to these locations and from these locations. I think what this says to me is a lot of the things that we've been talking about in terms of drone technology, um, even urban chopper, chopper oh, like. Yeah. Um, um, urban air mobility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All those things could come into play here if we're looking to reduce congestion on the roads. Mm-hmm. Because even autonomous semi-travel, even as much as we try to do in terms of electric semis and all that to reduce the carbon footprint and the pollution of these vehicles, they're still going to be there and there's still going to be this congestion. When you talk about traveling 22 to 30 miles an hour, it's not like it's a scenic highway they're going down either. It is harsh, brutal driving. feel bad for these guys who have to navigate that on a regular basis because that is is a stressful, physically demanding type of route. Mm Mm-hmm. The other way that the other thing that just got me thinking about is rail. Oh yeah. I mean, at one point we look in the early seventies rail was handling over half of all cargo and freight in this country. That's slowly been chipped away at now we're at about 20% of everything that we ship is sent through the rail. And quite honestly, during the pandemic with fewer semi drivers, which we've talked about before, right. um, increased congestion, like we're talking about here, there was a slight uptick in the use of rail and getting things from point A to point B. There's a lot of drawbacks in terms of it's a little bit slower. It's tougher to track on rail. Yeah. But if we continue to run into these types of situations where we got more stuff from more locations going out the door, maybe that is an area we look at. Mm-hmm. President Biden has talked a lot about infrastructure investment. Maybe we do something to either update, improve, expand our rail operations as well in dealing with these types of problems or challenges. Anna, what do you think about rail as an option? I know that security would certainly be something they need to improve given the stories we've done the last couple of weeks yeah. on uh, some of the rail cars that have been pillaged in LA, I believe. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Jeff's right. It's an infrastructure problem. Um, you know, if you look at this Fort Lee bottleneck in particular, like the biggest predictors of congestion are typically accidents or construction projects. But if you look here and um, in the video, if anyone saw it, we shoot to the Google um, map mm-hmm. to show yeah, to actually show the wet spaghetti. The wet spaghetti, mm-hmm. and it it's honestly designed in such a way that even like regular existing traffic volumes outside of all that's been yeah. added um it it's not designed to accommodate that it's it like it it any traffic would exceed the capability of this design it's like a million roads like it going into a big pile well it's like, like double decker too it's like different upper and lower i mean just navigating it and understanding where you're going mm-hmm. to get through this has got to be just mind bending at first right exactly and so it looks to me like a permanent bottleneck yeah. unless it's actually changed. I mean, yeah. like, like we a complete can, reset. Yeah. Like we can do so much with like trying to divert some of the highway traffic into other areas. Um, but at the same time, like this is just poorly designed in my opinion. And that's probably the reason why year after year it shows up as the worst <laughs> bottleneck in America. Um, it's pretty nasty. Yeah. So do you guys think it's possible that problems like this are going to force people to get smarter? Because we've seen logistics and other obstacles, other challenges uh, that have started to have an impact on the bottom line uh, force a change. Like we've talked about optimizing container space due to the incredible price hikes. At what point, where is the breaking point for something like this where, you know, uh, it's probably terrible for everybody in the area. It probably slows down the supply chain for anything moving through there. Uh, What's the breaking point? I don't know if it comes on the transportation logistics side or if it comes in the product life cycle side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because one other approach is if stuff is not getting there on time, hopefully what you have lasts longer. Yeah. So that potentially you're ordering fewer and, you know, the whole sort of domino effect that can take place there. We're not yeah. going to do that though, right? Uh, well, that's, I <laughs> no, mean, that's I, not our, that's not in our nature. No. I agree. No, optimistically, that's what I was thinking. Like, you know, how many of these supply chain issues can we have before we maybe start changing our own mentalities in terms of, you know, what about having less? Buying less. Yeah. 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 I agree. I mean, that's easy to say. Mm-hmm. I guess, you know, like how many people rely on Amazon now for every little thing? And once you have that Prime membership, what's the big deal if you order one $10 item at a time? True. True. It's, uh, man, I know just anytime I'm over at uh, my mother in law's house, it is just a sea of Amazon at the bottom of those stairs. And it's like, hi, welcome. Bring everything up the stairs now. It's been sitting here since the last time you visited. But I will say, like, if you look at the comparison between um, how much slower traffic was in Fort Lee in 2021 versus 2020, mm-hmm. we know that there's been a lot of e-commerce in 2021, but there was a lot of e-commerce in 2020 as well. Mm-hmm. But what was different was that there were a lot of shutdowns and people weren't going to work. Yeah. So you can see that there were some changes, I think sizable changes that took place just by lightening the load of that traffic, but it didn't come from uh, a commerce side or a, you know, a B2B side. It came from uh, people not driving their cars. So, I mean, uh, that's the other thing to look at more, more public transportation, more options for people. So we're not putting one person in one car on every highway driving to work every day. No, I thought that I thought the same thing, like when they were making the comparisons to 2020, I feel like in anything is unfair. It's you know, unfair. to, to Yeah. People are talking about having record years because they're comparing it to 2020. It's like, yes, 2020 was bad for everybody. <laughs> it was a weird year. Like, yeah. Um, the other thing was that when I saw this headline, I thought there is no, I had to be Atlanta. 
I figured it had to be Atlanta area or New Jersey. So, you know, it was close. I hedged a little bit. But so number two was actually Cincinnati, Houston, number three, and then finally Atlanta. But they have two. So at least, uh, you know, confirmed what I've yeah. experienced driving through that area as well. No, anybody who has driven through Atlanta, what is it? Probably between three and seven in the afternoon. Yeah. Man, it is harsh. Yeah. I'd agree. And, you know, while New Jersey had the worst bottleneck, Texas actually had 14 bottlenecks in the top 100. So stay big in Texas, guys. Yeah, well, highways. Yep. All right. <clears throat> Our third most popular story this week. Rescue ongoing after cargo ship catches fire in mid-Atlantic. On Wednesday, 22 crew members were evacuated from the Felicity Ace, a large cargo ship that caught fire in the mid-Atlantic near Portugal. The ship was carrying vehicles when, it bro- when a fire broke out in the hold. The 650-meter-foot-long ship was sailing from Germany to Rhode Island. The fire, the fire has required an incredible amount of resources, including patrol boats, boats, four merchant vessels, and Air Force aircraft, all from Portugal's military. Anna, the ship contained thousands of Porsches, Audis, and Lamborghinis. And in the words of the great Andy Zoll, hate to see it. Hate to see it. And Felicity Ace sounds like such a nice name for a boat. Like, I agree. Sounds like like That's a two. Yeah, like a tween crack detective or something. I don't oh, know. Yeah. It's very cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a terrible story. Mm-hmm. So um, the more we learn about it, uh, as you said, the more insane it is about the kind of cargo that it was carrying. We knew there was cars on the ship when this story first broke. But now since then, we've learned more about what was actually on the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, 4,000 luxury cars. Uh, is being reported, including 1,100 Porsches, 189 Bentleys. Man. Those are not cheap. Um, insurers are estimating the damage to be some $100 million. Um, mm-hmm. And then the ship itself was actually valued at $30 million. And since they're just letting it kind of burn. I mean, there's yeah. so there's like salvage vessels out there right now that are trying to put out the fire, I think, um, see if they can retrieve any of the cargo. But, um, you know... Smoke is a little tricky. I think sometimes that that kind of sticks around. So mm-hmm. you've got yeah. like textile interiors and stuff that you have to, you know, it's a long ship. So there's possibly areas that are just not being. Yeah, you it know, might just have smoke damage or something. Right. Like but, damage. but like, you know, if you want, it's a brand new hundred yeah. th- plus thousand dollar car. Nobody wants any water damage, any smoke right. damage. People have probably been waiting months and months for these cars, too. That's the thing. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. It's. um. I think we can safely talk about the economic impact because we know that no one was hurt actually right, in this right. um, situation, but what an absolute waste mm-hmm. yeah. and no. at a terrible time really for auto. Oh yeah. Uh, Jeff, I do think it is, it is important to reiterate that none of the crew was harmed. And in a lot of these fires, you know, uh, a lot of the people that get injured are the people in the salvage vessels or trying to put the fire out. And so far everyone's remained safe. Uh, what did you think about the Felicity Ace uh, catching fire and, you know, just a lot of money on board at risk. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. Excuse me. <clears throat> we look at the, the number of vehicles there individually. That's not probably too damaging for these OEs. You know, they can mm-hmm. probably handle and absorb this loss. But when you look at the dealers that were coming to the U.S., mm-hmm. 1,100 Porsches, Porsche sells between 60 and 70,000 vehicles a year in the U.S. So losing 1,100 of those, yeah, that's got to be some dealer is hurting pretty good over that. Oh, yeah. So you do kind of feel bad for them, especially because of the chip shortages and other automotive supply chain struggles that we've talked about for the last 18 months, basically. So you can appreciate that. 
The other thing that this brought to light for me is, again, an ongoing topic that we've been discussing is a shortage of skilled workers, Mm -hmm. difficulty finding workers. You don't want to point a finger. We don't know anything here, but we've talked about a lot of these sort of maritime safety incidents that have have been occurring in sort of sync with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And you have to wonder if there isn't something going on here where maybe either the crew wasn't optimally trained or wasn't fully staffed on this ship. So often it's exhaustion. So often it's exhaustion. Um, And to pile on uh, for those dealers, Porsche actually issued a statement that said anyone concerned by this incident and the implications on the car they've ordered should contact their dealer. Just like give them another headache to deal with. Yeah. Just like, oh, yeah, they'll deal with it. No worries. Hmm. Um, Anna, what I thought was crazy, too, speaking about logistics, is that so the Felicity Ace is too large to be towed to the nearby the nearby islands the azores islands which is still if they made it to the islands those are still more than 900 miles away from the european mainland whoa so like i'm not saying it's the worst place for this to be stranded but Mm -hmm. it's pretty bad yeah pretty bad i don't know maybe once everything sinks they can make a new coral reef well i mean the thing that gave me a little perspective on the the location is when they showed pictures from other vessels, mm-hmm. how far off it was. Mm-hmm. Like, so this is obviously a huge, I don't know if shipping lanes, the right term. Cause it is such a huge a area. Yeah. yeah. But not like they were next door. I mean, they were a ways off and they could still see what was going on. Yeah. And these were huge ships as well. So, you know, that there's, this isn't like a tight space, I guess you could say, yeah, they're out there in the middle of nowhere. Does this, I mean, I understand that a lot of these cars, no matter what these premium automobiles they're, they can't be manufactured. They can only be manufactured so many places. But, you know, in 2019, this happened again. Mm-hmm. Like there were, uh, you know, 2000 vehicles, a lot of them luxury Porsches that wound up at the bottom of the ocean yeah. as a cargo ship sunk. I mean, uh, do you think that this could ever be something where maybe they think about bringing some of the manufacturing, you know, onshore? Or is that just wishful thinking? Some, a brand like Volkswagen? Absolutely. Yeah. They've yeah. got plants here in the U.S. Porsche? Yeah, man, I don't, I don't think, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah. Just, I mean, that's a, those are big losses. It's a big loss, but it, I I mean, insured, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. So maybe a lot of discount Porsches coming out on the market. (laughs) Just like waterlogged models. Like what does the Carfax say on that one? Like mild smoke damage. Yeah. Still smells like a container ship. (laughs) What would you, would you pay for a smoke damaged Porsche? What's the discount? Yeah. At least as much as I'm going to pay for that DeLorean. Yeah. Your sticker, your (laughs) sticker would be peeling off. Yeah. Yeah. You can have three electric gremlins or one smoke damaged Porsche. (laughs) Where are you going? Oh, the gremlins. Cause then it's one. And then I have two for the boys when they grow up. We have family gremlins. (laughs) Oh, the mantis are here. In case you have the electric Hummer. That's right. They always drive separately for some reason. Oh, that's well, we all know our personalities. (laughs) All right. <laughs> Our second most popular story this week. 243 workers reportedly terminated because plants furnaces are worn out. A glass factory in Park Hills, Missouri is closing up shop and 243 workers will be out of work at the end of next month. PGB Glass USA blamed the closure on the widespread difficulties facing many companies. However, a company spokesperson claims the closure is due to the plant's furnaces being, quote, worn out. Instead of paying to fix or replace them, the plant's parent company, which is based out of India, will close the facility. P. 
PGP makes fine glass for specialty liquor, beauty, pharmaceutical, and food applications. Anna, they just couldn't fix the furnace? Well, it's unclear, I think, how big an investment they are electing not to make here. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, heat is like a key component in glass melting and shaping. So this is like key operational capital equipment. Um, they could be looking at dozens of these furnaces. I don't know. I mean, it could be hundreds of thousands of dollars, multiple pieces, millions of dollars. Who knows? You know, mm-hmm. um, but obviously there are other factors here. PCP has a backup plan for sure. They have another manufacturing plant in New Jersey, but they also have factories in India and Sri Lanka. And what's happening here is sort of mirroring what's happened in the glass industry over the last few decades, I guess. There's been a lot of offshoring. Mm -hmm. Um, To kind of illustrate this decline, I found a New York Times article that pointed out that at the time the World Trade Center was being um, built so so the original towers of World Trade Center, everything was made in the USA glass. Mm-hmm. And then when they rebuilt uh, that facility, um, the replacement building featured actually a lot of Chinese made glass. Mm. And um, at the time, they quoted the chairman of gla- the glass company, Guardian Industries, who's like big glass company, um, who had said, quote, those who are looking through the rearview mirror waiting for the glass industry in this country to come back should know it isn't going to come back. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Harsh. Harsh reality there. Harsh reality um, yeah. from the words of the glass industry leaders themselves. But um, so there are, I think, going to be other variables here that are obviously impacting lots of glass manufacturers, not mm-hmm. just this one. So I think it's probably unfair to point the finger at this company and say they're owned by an Indian company. And so they are screwing us out of whatever. I mean, like there are other challenges facing this industry as a whole, for sure. Uh, Jeff, less fancy glass in Missouri. (laughs) That's just a bummer. It is. And you feel bad for these folks who are losing their jobs, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, not to be completely defending um, PGP Glass's decision, but these are investments of half a million dollars or upwards when you're looking at these furnaces. These are expensive pieces of equipment. Mm -hmm. The, the workforce had been cut in half in recent years. So talking about a lot, you know, just going back to what Anna was saying on a lot of fronts, the industry is declining. And, and this was unfortunately part of that process. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the areas that they work in, not so much like specialty liquor, maybe beauty, but like pharmaceutical and food, there's a shift to a lot more plastics, yeah, good or bad, mm-hmm. but it is less expensive and quicker to use those types of materials as well as more recyclable materials like aluminum. Mm-hmm. So I can see some of the struggles that this company may have been dealing with. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, but sort of a, um, just a part of the market. Do you, I, part of me wonders if PGP reached out to the city at all before and tried to work out a deal in terms of like maybe getting some sort of tax credits or something to help pay for that investment. I yeah. wonder if that, that happens as much because we see so much wheeling and dealing when we're trying to bring new manufacturers uh, to town or poach them from other states. I wonder how much of that actually happens to try and keep a business like that. It happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, we have, I have no, no idea if that happened. Yeah. No, here, you this know? is just, just for the rampant speculation part of the <laughs> <Right>. podcast. <laughs> just like, well, if I had to guess, they didn't. No. <laughs> well, you have to wonder too. I mean, this is such a, this piece of, this type of equipment is like the part of the infrastructure of the facility. Yeah. So when you're replacing or updating something like that, I don't know, maybe they could have just repaired it and fixed it, kept it in place. But if you got to pull it out and put something new in, Mm -hmm. you're going to be shut down for a while. There could have been a lot of different factors that played into the decision in addition to just the replacement cost. 
Now, when they notified the city, they said some of the right things. Like, we deeply regret and understand the uncertainty this action may cause to our valued employees. You love these letters. I do love these letters. And they, you know, they said they're going to be offering severance packages. So these uh, employees are not just going to be hopefully left out in the cold. Cold. But then they come out and say, we very much appreciate our employees' contributions and dedication to their jobs during this difficult period. And I just, how they always try to word like, you're going to lose your job. We'll give you severance. Please keep working until we shut down because we need it. You know, just like, please stay sorry. Just, uh, they did a better job than some other companies, but it's just, I like how carefully worded it's, you guys are going to keep working, right? (laughs) You've seen worse though, right? I've seen way worse, way worse. Yes. So you're better than most PGP. Do you guys remember um, returnables, glass returnables? And now, not that long later, can you imagine anyone doing that? I just feel like people- What's glass returnables? So you used to buy things in bottles like soda or beer or whatever, and then you'd have to take the bottles back. Yeah, I think that's still like big in some states. It is? Well, like last time I visited my grandmother in Michigan, they have like, when you go to the grocery store, they have like these uh, giant boxes where you uh, return certain types of glass and you're paid for. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. Where you, cause you pay a deposit when you, kind of, yeah. 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 It used to be pretty common here in Wisconsin mm-hmm. where you could buy like cases of beer in bottles and then you'd return the bottles to oh, the store. Mm-hmm. And now we have become so accustomed to plastic. I cannot, and, and just like recycling yeah. glass. I just cannot imagine people getting up off their There's butts. Still, and even milk. Five or 10 cent returnable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, wait, you're telling me I'm going to get 70 cents for this. Like it will cost yeah. Point still point. Stevens Point Brewery still does. And I know that there are there's at least one milk manufacturer. I don't know if it's Lamers. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm not even sure if that's a milk manufacturer, but uh I know that the bottles are there because I tried it for a couple of weeks and it was just too like, you know, I gotta remember to bring the bottle back to the grocery store when I have it. Yeah. And like the logistical challenges really outweigh that feel good factor. This is what fact. I'm saying. And yeah. I feel like more people would be like, 70 cents? I'm gonna smash it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we learned this from the Seinfeld episode, right? Yeah. Where Jerry and Seinfeld were taking all them from New New York to Michigan to recycle yeah. everything. <laughs> oh, well, uh, yeah. Kramer, right? In the postal. Uh, yeah, in the postal truck. Forgot postal about truck. that one. Yeah. yeah. All right. <clears throat> Our most popular story this week. Execs flee EV startup. Is it a talent drain or the old cut and run? The old cut and run. <laughs> <laughs> this week, more executives left EV startup Canoe. Canoe gained an early foothold in the EV startup race with its unique designs, including, quote, lifestyle vehicles. It's trying to make a loft on wheels that has a 250-mile range with configurable interiors that feature wraparound back seats, better-than-average legroom, and a bubble-like cockpit. Canoe also offers block-shaped delivery vans and pickups that are set to come out after the lifestyle vehicles debut later this year. But Canoe has struggled. This year... The problems included the abrupt departure of the CEO, an SEC investigation, and ongoing volatility with its stock price. Automotive News says Canoe is hemorrhaging talent, citing several key executives who have fled the company in recent weeks. The vehicle program lead and the manager of software controls left, and the engineering pros that date back to the company's inception in 2017 are gone as well. In 2021, Canoe's CEO, CFO, CTO, general counsel, and powertrain division lead left. Earlier this month, the CMO and vice president of manufacturing and investor relations left. 
So, Jeff, who's left? <laughs> well, hopefully, like the janitor with the door code is still there. Yeah, oh, maybe geez. that's the problem. Maybe he left too, and yeah, I can get into the building. He's got the key card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just feels like there's a lot of sort of dominoes that fell in place here mm-hmm. that made this. I would think probably some of those higher level or more talented individuals get nervous. Okay, yeah. first of all, you have this same sort of SEC investigation um, taking place with Lordstown, which was needed and did not bode well for Lordstown. Mm-hmm. Same thing at Nicola. They had a $125 million SEC fine levied against them. So I'm sure you see those things. You also take that into consideration that the EV market is becoming so much more competitive, even when they launched from even when they launched this company. A lot of these folks probably got really nervous in mm-hmm. terms of what the future held, especially when you're launching a vehicle that is, let's be real, it's a design risk, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. It is a very unique looking vehicle. It kind of it almost resembles like a planetary rover or something yeah. like something they would send up to mars yeah. i love it though like a, I, yeah it's, like a, a I trolley so it's cool kind of a big swing mm-hmm. so i think it is when you look at all of those different factors you look at some of the risk involved with the market i think that led to some of these higher level individuals getting nervous mm-hmm. bolting and then the dominoes fell well hey if he's leaving i'm out of here too because i came with him mm-hmm. and so on and so forth yeah Well, I think that the lifestyle vehicle, the consumer model is the big swing. But I think that one of the better plays were the delivery vans and pickups where they could have like made a lot of money in terms of fleets. Mm -hmm. Um, Anna, I don't think there are any C's left at Canoe. A lot of C's. Right? Just Uh, out to see. Yeah. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Only they had a canoe. (laughs) <laughs> i knew that was coming i knew that was coming you can't set the table like that no <laughs> very nice um and uh no it's uh it looks like trouble afoot it's new yeah some trouble is brewing um yeah I, it's interesting because the situation parallels as jeff said the experience of so many other ev startups who like merged with s packs and then that spurred an sec investigation um and that doesn't necessarily mean something fraudulent is happening it happened to like four of their competitors, like in the same two year period. And yet (laughs) this mass exodus is interesting because we've seen other scenarios where executives have left, like in the case of Lordstown, but they were pressured to right in Canoe's case, the CEO actually left to join Apple's secret car project. Um, It's not, it's not clear if Apple wooed him away, but he left and then Apple scooped him up like three weeks later. So to me, like so he resigned after he took the company public and then he was scooped up by Apple. Um, to me, that's not an issue of an executive who's in over their head or wanting to leave the industry or spend more time with their family. Like to me, that it speaks to maybe an executive that doesn't believe in what the company is doing. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it shows a lack of confidence, in my opinion, that I think is spreading. Um, and either that's a problem culturally or it's a problem with internal messaging. I'm not sure. But they cannot seem to rein that in. Mm -hmm. And if it's not that, then maybe it's even bigger problems that are kind of hiding inside the the four walls of this company. And we're going to find out more about that later um, as the luxurious interior of this lifestyle vehicle company begins to crumble. Wow. Very good. Dramatic finish. That's the back of the book right there. Very good. (laughs) Um, Jeff, how, how soon do you think before we start to see them try and sell off IP? Um, I think they're kind of, I think they're kind of stuck right now. They said they're going to be launching these at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I don't think they're going to be going that route. I think what's going to be interesting is 
they need to get past this SEC investigation without anything major coming out, which is when you see these high level individuals leaving, it's, it's like Anna alluded to, you kind of feel like there's something going on there that isn't matching up and they're mm-hmm. going to, they feel like they're going to find something. Mm-hmm. It's probably more on the engineering or capability side of it is what I feel. Because I mean, when they started looking into Nikola, if you remember there, I mean, they found everything was wrong. Like, oh, yeah. They yeah. falsified so much stuff in terms from a performance yeah. and lying to, to shareholders and everything else. This stock is down almost 25% from last year. So there's, there's concern there. And I think maybe part of that is also the pre-order or the momentum that they were hoping they would be able to generate yeah. has not been as fierce because, again, you've got everybody in this space now. And some of these are coming with some big names. I, again, you know, we keep talking about Rivian. Mm-hmm. I think they're the one that everybody's afraid of right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They got Amazon behind Amazon, them. yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing is like these kind of companies, they need that big fleet buy yeah. to kind of inject some optimism and some reassurance into the consumer market side of it. And no one is going to do that, I don't think, until this SEC investigation closes and they find out that things are above board. And we don't know how long that's going to take. SEC, I mean, they take take their time, you know? Yeah, they're not in any rush. And I don't think Elon Musk, is, who has sort of become the de facto spokesperson for electric vehicles, mm-hmm. has really helped smooth that relationship out in any way, shape or form. <laughs> right. I mean, maybe this is just, uh, we, heard, we heard that this was a trend where that uh, companies were holding on to executives through the pandemic and then unloading them when times were a little bit more stable. Maybe that's all this is. Yeah, I don't think they're being unloaded. I think they're unloading themselves. Like David really wants to be like, the positive voice on mm. the story. We just, we're not letting them. Well, and the new, C- <laughs> the new CEO was like, basically, this is what happens when you hire talented people. Like, oh, mm, yeah. But yeah. not really, though, most places. <laughs> no, that's, I, that's a classic line. Like, when you have good people, other people are going to want them. Yeah. And sometimes they take them. Every like, single one of them. <laughs> 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 yeah, in the same year. Well, and that was actually uh, the one thing that was the biggest cause of concern for me were those people that have been there for, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Because when the true believers are gone, that's when that's when I get worried as an employee. Like, uh, and I can't. We talk about the importance of management leadership. I can't imagine what it's like at that going into that company every day right now. But it has to be hard to keep it afloat for sure. All right, <clears throat> let's move on to in case you missed it. And in case you missed it, we like to talk about stories that maybe weren't as popular on the website, but still stand to make a big impact on the industry going forward. Anna, I'd like to start with you. What is your In Case You Missed It this week? Well, everyone, in case you missed it, the U.S. has approved new headlights that won't blind oncoming drivers. Yay. Oh, that couldn't come fast enough. I know. I um, So the U.S. highway safety regulators um, are going to allow these new high-tech headlights that are commonly used in Europe already. They're LED lamps that can focus beams on darkness um, such as the driver's lane and areas along the roadside, but they also have a lower intensity um, of the light beams that are just for oncoming traffic. So the camera sensors involved and computers kind of help determine where the light should go at certain times mm-hmm. and kind of fix that problem for you. So you're not doing the click click, yeah. which nobody does. So um, uh, it's, it's supposed to be good for everybody. Safety wise, pedestrians, bicyclists, making them more visible at night. It can help prevent crashes, they say, because it will better illuminate animals in the road, Mm. objects, um, any of that stuff. And the new rule is supported by the auto industry and comes as the safety agencies grapple with a dramatic rise in traffic deaths nationwide. So I'm bringing attention to this story because for once, um, everyone seems to be in agreement. Mm. And that so rarely happens that I thought we should probably like high five about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. 
And like, I don't know, it's great. I mean, like headlights that suck for everyone are being phased out. That's mm-hmm. good news. Um, the auto industry isn't crying for once. And that's all there is. I don't no, know. I, uh, I like the story just because anything that can improve the intensity of headlights and how they work. I mean, we all have at least one relatively new vehicle. How many times are you flashed when you're driving at night? Mm-hmm. Like uh, I'm flat. And that's one of the things with the new headlights is you can't do the click, click to flash them back. You know, like I get flashed all the time in the RAV. And I can't even flash them back like they're off. I can't like because I can't hit them with the uh, yeah. can't hit them with the brights because the sensor sees that they're there. And I'm like, no, but I want to blind them. Um, Jeff, another thing that I was encouraged by was that, you know, we run a lot of stories every day. But this is the one that um, an old colleague actually reached out and uh, he was like, I'm blind in both eyes, mostly both eyes, but I have one good eye. And this is finally something that'll help me drive at night. And it just felt, oh, wow. That was a feel okay. good story. Yeah. If he's only got a half of a good eye, maybe, yeah. maybe, MP driving. You don't tell him what to do. Okay. Jeff. You don't tell him what to do. Yeah, we don't do that. He's either. his own man. <clears throat> Um, no good drive and it's it's also the these headlights will be more efficient the lights inside mm-hmm. use less energy all that good stuff so yeah I mean anybody who has driven at night which oddly enough like I can remember driving the first time at night coming out of like quarantine and oh. done that in probably six or eight months yeah and to finally get out there so yeah less distraction easier to see what's going on definitely good thing yeah well no. yeah oh, Go sorry ahead, please I was just gonna say like so right now we we know that the data is telling us that people are getting worse at driving mm-hmm. <laughs> like driving right now is more dangerous than it's been in like a decade. And then also like headlights have really, uh, as we see like automotive tech take off, headlights have really been left behind. And if you look at the way headlights are tested and how poorly most headlights actually perform on testing um, in terms of like how they help drive visibility at night, Mm -hmm. there is a lot of room for improvement on headlights. And so I'm glad that something's being done about this because this will make a difference. When you say that they're improving being able to see animals on the road, as a person that drives to the north woods of Wisconsin mm-hmm. regularly, we can do better. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. Jeff, what is your in case you missed it this week? So I picked a story with the headline, Will Alarms Still Work After 3G Shuts Down? And it's not talking about specifically the alarm you might think on your phone or whatever else, although that will be impacted. It's also the number of other devices that it's becoming really scary still work off of these older cellular networks. Okay. We've talked about this before. All the big telecom companies want everything upgraded to 5G as soon as possible. They've invested hundreds of millions of dollars in this new communication platform. But the problem is that there's still a lot of old phones out there that still use these older 3G networks. Mm -hmm. And they're starting to want to take them down. Um, AT&T is going to take one down next week. Verizon, which has already pushed it back twice, is going to be doing that probably by July, shutting these things down. And when they do that, these phones become bricks. Yeah. Now, they're supposedly talking to their customers, letting them know about this beforehand. But in addition to these phones, there's a number of other devices. We talked, we've run an article before about like the medical alert. Yeah, life alert. Buttons and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Well, the other one now that they've found out is the law enforcement bracelets. Also, a large oh. number of those yeah. run on 3G You networks. mean like the ankle bracelets? Yeah, I'm yes. unfamiliar with these, Jeff. What are these contraptions? Don't act like that. <laughs> David's wearing one right now. <laughs> I know. I can't leave it till He's five. He's never come close to wearing one of those. No. Uh, that is crazy. But man, if you're wearing one right now, you're just like, yeah, we got to get these towers down. <laughs> yeah. I'll just wait so it out. So that's a big issue because obviously you can track them. And these are putting in a lot of um, offenders of child safety yeah. laws. Mm-hmm. 
So you've got to be worried about some people that you definitely want to know where they are right. and what yeah. they're up to. We won't be able to track them. So now it's this weird combination of all these different entities, either private companies, municipalities, law enforcement, reaching out to these huge telecom companies saying, we need more time. Yeah. And the telecom companies are going, we told you this was coming. Mm-hmm. So there's this weird convergence of when will these 3G towers and these networks actually come down? Because there's more than just inconvenience of bricking your phone that's yeah. in play now. Right, exactly. Yeah. It sounds like uh, a different variation on when they were rolling out 5G with the airline industry. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you talk about the telecom com- com- companies and I feel like, you know, you can find the 3G phones that are still out there and offer some sort of free upgrade just to get them on a, yeah. a better network. But when you're talking about, I mean, I can't imagine the infrastructure for those anklets and what that would take to replace across the nation. And I mean, I guess I'm sure, I mean, how much time did they have to do this? I mean, it's just, there's a, there's some comment in there about the slow pace of bureaucracy. You can point the finger at everybody. Yeah. Okay. The device manufacturers or the people managing these networks, they were all at fault here. They Mm -hmm. were not communicating because they all said, that's not my deal. That's on you to fix your device. Mm -hmm. The device folks are going saying, you need to tell us when this is going down and why does it have to go down to begin with? Mm -hmm. Why can't you just keep this up? Well, it's a cost of doing business. There's operating costs. They want to be more efficient and using all the money they've stuck in to the new network. Yeah. Uh, Anna, your thoughts on uh, 3G 3G going away? Um, Yeah. I mean, it's really a bummer because the people who need access to like emergency services and stuff the most are probably the ones who have the oldest devices i'm guessing you know it's not like your great grandmother who maybe has like a phone Mm -hmm. is probably on the up and up and has you know the newest version of iphone or whatever you know i know a lot of older adults in my life that still have like their you know flip phones and stuff like this like these are the people that are going to be impacted by this and they might not know what's going on right and it might be hard to reach them with this messaging honestly so i don't know it will be frustrating for a while they need more commercials on we tv yeah exactly on the lifetime movie network yeah put some commercials up there to let them know this is going to happen man Mm -hmm. well i mean so where does it stand now jeff in terms of are we still just at a standstill where we're pointing fingers and Basically, the telecom companies are saying, this is our deadline. This is when we're shutting down 3G. You have to be ready. What is the deadline? Well, again, for AT&T, they're looking for next week. Oh, yeah. We're talking about on Friday. A week from now, they want to have all that 3G stuff shut down. And when you look at some of the others, Verizon, they're looking this summer. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you have 3G, replace it quickly, quickly. Um, All right. My In Case You Missed It is about an engineer that just pleaded guilty to selling secrets in a peanut butter sandwich. On Monday, Jonathan Toby, a 43-year-old Navy nuclear engineer, pleaded guilty to espionage-related crimes. He was caught trying to provide design data for nuclear-powered warships to a foreign national. Now, Toby has access to information on naval nuclear propulsion. Now, he is not the world's smartest criminal. First of all, he reached out to just a random foreign country with a just general email that said, "Hey, Please forward this to your military intelligence agency. It will you will find it useful. Quote, this is not a hoax. Well, he struck up a relationship with an FBI informant because when the other nation received this email communication, they were like, This looks bad. Here, US representative, you <laughs> oh might want to look into this. And so he from the word go, he was communicating with an FBI uh agent. And they set up this entire scheme, like really struggle along. Like he just, I mean, uh, death by a thousand cuts here. But 
So he really tried to work out a safe way to, or not a safe way, but like a way to deliver this information through encrypted cloud uh, services. But they got him to do a series of dead drops, basically so they could kind of see him physically drop off this evidence. And to make these dead drops, in one of them, he placed an SD drive with government secrets into a half of a peanut butter sandwich. And then another time, he placed it in a package of gum. And it's, he's not the smartest criminal. He's somewhat creative, somewhat creative. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage anyone to look at this government, like the complaint, the document that they have on this guy. That's every conversation that he's had. And it is just, it's just not great. uh, Not a great look for him because he keeps typing like, how do I know I can trust you? And then the FBI informant's like, you can trust me. He's like, sounds good to me. (laughs) Like, so he, and he, uh, you know, he roped his wife into this because she would serve as the lookout and now uh, they're both being prosecuted. He's going to, he, as part of his plea deal, he's going to get 12 and a half years in jail. He was looking at life, you know, treason. And, uh, you know, there's a possibility that she could go to jail too. Um, and just sometimes, you know, the allure of crime is enough to pull people in the wrong direction. And just, you know, your actions have implications, like uh, consequences. And, uh, you know, be smarter. Was be he smarter. trying to get money? Oh, yeah. So okay. like, part of this was so he wanted to get paid in uh, Monero cryptocurrency. Oh, good. And okay. so, I mean, from the outset, like he he thought, you know, worth it. And yeah. is such a fan of crypto. He, I mean, he had to figure it out he was going to get paid in crypto. He was going to do it specifically all electronically through encrypted uh, methods. But, you know, they were able to talk him into uh, diverting from his plan. Oh, okay. But he and he was it's, we're not talking about a lot like the first good faith payment was 10, 10 grand in crypto. Mm-hmm. And then he received another 20 in crypto. For like, so like 30 grand for the first batch of government secrets and how it worked was he would give them the SD card and then to kind of get paid uh, the rest of what he was owed, he would have an encryption on it. And in order for the, uh, the government agent to get the encryption, Mm -hmm. they would have to pay him again. I mean, the, the biggest payment that he received was like $70,000. It's like before you're going to commit treason, not dollars though. No, Monero's (laughs) yeah, 70,000 worth of Monero's. He didn't even cover his peanut butter cost. No, I don't. I, man, I mean, actually, I, I was thinking about the story you talked about, Jeff, how like uh, a couple weeks ago where how the government actually is probably seized this Monero, you know, and now has to like, you Sounds know, so made up. has to deal with it, you know, like, yeah. hey, so what do we do with the $200,000 in Monero we have from the Toby sting? Yeah, they should have made up a different cryptocurrency and just like used a fake name to it. Yeah, yeah. Here's the Manti currency. Oh my, no you one know? needs that. That's just hugs. That's Manti currency. Whoa, hugs well, and maybe goodbyes. That's, maybe that's what he really needed. Did you say I mean, hugs and goodbyes? Yeah, <laughs> hugs and good vibes. No, he. Uh, I mean, no, he had a family. Like all these, uh, there's a lot of photos of the family online, like going to the Renaissance Fair. It seemed like you know things were all right, and then he just, you know. Really thought he could outsmart the government and did not. Weird. But um, he needed to make more money. Yeah. I mean. Uh, that's not a lot. That's not life 10 and 20. Yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. No, you're like a mm-hmm. undercard at a UFC fighter, you know? Sorry. That's just a weird comparison. Um, But the other thing is that. <laughs> There's six of us who got it. Yeah. All right. Um, The other thing is that. So <laughs> the family has these. uh, Their social media accounts are still open. And people are just saying horrific things to him. Just terrible, terrible Aww. things to him. On their Instagram. On their Instagram is just brutal. And it's like, well, man. good. I mean, he. I don't no, know. no, no, no. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Not him. It was towards the wife. 
And uh, but I mean, granted, she's still going down for it. But it's like, man, take that stuff down. Just like that's going to be out there for your kids to see. I don't know. This entire thing is a mess. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he thought he was going to outsmart outsmart the government with a peanut butter sandwich just really got me. Really got me. Should have been more cold cuts. It's uh cold sad. Cuts. Anyway. Uh, that's my in case you missed it this week. Uh, check it out now on manufacturing.net and IN.com. This is not a hoax. <laughs> this is, I assure you, everything's on the up and up. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our final thoughts this week. Um, Anna, what is your final thought? Uh, this is not it, but um, we are in a windowless room right now, and oh. the squall could have overtaken us by now. Right? Do we know? We don't even know. I'm, I, we haven't we, lost power. We haven't <laughs> lost power, and we didn't get an alert on our phones. I was kind of like hoping that. We would have this, uh, you know, where everything would uh, fire and we'd have to like, yeah, take a minute. Some sort of siren yeah. happened and then, yep. Actually, as far the, as we know, we're fine. Yeah. With the number of fire alarms that normally go off in this building too. I'm surprised that's never happened on this podcast. And now that I've said that, it's going to happen. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Check. Okay. Yeah. Get us an update on the squall. S-Q- Our producer Alex is having trouble Googling squall because he doesn't know how to. S-Q-U-A-L-L. That's it. Mm-hmm. Squall? Yeah. I only know that because of the amazing movie White Squall. Solid. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so while we look into the status of the squall, we might be currently in. Yeah. What's your final thought? Uh so it's the hundredth day of school today for my first grader. Oh, very cool. And last night, uh, so she got to wear her pajamas to school, which she was super excited about. Mm-hmm. And then she asked me um how I was gonna celebrate my one hundredth day of work. Oh. And then I just wept quietly. <laughs> well, I mean, there's been a lot of celebrating today. We had, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, it's a coincidence, but uh, we had a great birthday today. Uh, happy birthday, Miss Heidi Lynch. And uh, as a result, we had bagels, pastries, sweets, pizza. I mean, our hundredth day in the office. I mean, after That's you true. dried your tears has been great. That's true. Yeah, I did not have the heart to tell her what work is like. I think she still maybe believes there's a summer vacation involved. I'm not going to tell her that yet. Yeah. She doesn't need to know. And actually, Heidi is uh, listening to the podcast. She says no squall as of yet. So we're safe. Thanks, Heidi. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, uh, My final thought this week is uh, I wanted to talk about uh, trade shows. We've been talking about the possibility of doing the podcast live. And so I wanted to put it out to the audience um, whether or not, A, that would be of any interest to you. And B, what trade shows you go to that, uh, you know, we might want to check out. I know that IMTS is coming up. Uh, There are a couple other trade shows in Anaheim. Um, And, you know, uh, they're coming back a little bit. So I wanted to kind of pose the question to our viewers, readers, listeners, uh, what trade shows you go to and whether or not the idea of seeing the podcast live is of any interest to you. Ooh, you could meet us or you don't have to. Yeah, you you can. (laughs) We all know everyone wants to meet Anna. (laughs) Hey, how's it going? David, yeah. David will come to your yeah. house. I will drop off the t-shirts, you know, personally, and then tell you where Anna is so you can talk to her. <laughs> um, very good. So uh, let us know. Um, Jeff, your final thoughts this week. Um, final thought. I'm just going to circle right to the trivia question. Mm. Sounds great. Okay. Let's get it. So we did have a tougher one this week. We were looking at the percentage or the number of fatal accidents and where they occur. Yeah. Okay. So, did you guys have any guesses before? I was going to say it was urban. Oh, this one. Yeah. yeah. Can you read it again? This is actually? a tough one. So, blank fatal accidents are more likely to occur in blank areas. So, I'm going to say 
75% urban areas. Ooh, I'm going to say 75% rural areas. Okay, so almost everybody got the second part right. Yeah. Which is definitely rural areas. Dang. Okay. So almost everybody everyone got else got that yeah. right. Yeah, you are the only one who guessed urban. Yeah, no one Zip. falls into a silo yeah. in the middle of the city. Very David. good. Very good. Yeah. Okay. But the number we looked for, we had five eighths. One person even wrote in mm. three fourths. Yeah. Two thirds. Two thirds. Two thirds of all fatal accidents occur in rural. Wow. Areas. That's that crazy. Is, so. Very, um, some great attempts, um, great feedback. Again, appreciate everybody who wrote in, but that was the exact answer. So no one got it right? No, but we had some good comments. I'm not, I didn't get his permission to read them on the air, but the one that you forwarded to me, he definitely deserves a a t-shirt. Yeah. So we'll definitely get some of those out and we're still working on getting some, maybe some snapback hats or. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, Working on the hats and uh, mugs. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff, can we do any questions that are not about death? You know, oh, Anna, no. great segue. Oh, okay. I think I've got one for you. It's just a maiming? <laughs> no, no maiming. Okay, good. No. Good, good. I'll work on that <laughs> next time. This is, however, the final um, trivia question coming from the Wagner product safety cards from 1988. Oh. We're going we're gonna to find some new Retire sources these. of okay. uh, stuff. Thanks, Wagner products. Yeah, they worked but for it. here is what we got for this week. Which mineral prevents or helps in the prevention of muscle cramps, calcium, iron, or copper? What? Which mineral prevents or helps to prevent, or excuse me, prevents or helps in the event of cramps, hmm. muscle cramps? Is it calcium, iron, or copper? What's in cranberry juice? <laughs> Cranberries. <laughs> that is my favorite mineral. And water. <laughs> yeah. What, there's got to be other are, minerals. Those are there. those are fruits. Yeah, but those are minerals. Fruits have minerals. I mean, in they're it. hard, but they're not a rock. Man, I, there's got to be a mineral in there. So, what's the mineral? If you I have a guess, up, but I'll keep it to myself. I have no guess. Calcium. There's only iron. Three options. I think you copper. Can, yeah, you got one. Yeah, can, I one guess. out of three. Of your I was apparently the only one in the world that said urban. So, <laughs> you also said cranberry juice. Yeah. Well, I mean, cramps, cranberry juice. Come on, let's go. It's it's got to be related. There's got to be iron and cranberry juice. I think What's that's in it. cranberry juice? <laughs> Cranberries and iron. <laughs> you guys clearly aren't buying the same sort of infused, like cranberry juices that I'm buying. No. Yeah. <laughs> Something else. Yeah. No. It's actually infused. Do you, with do you know what a cranberry is? Hmm? You're familiar with like cranberry? Is? I am. Yes. Yes. Because I made some cranberry sauce from scratch this Thanksgiving and realized that it's all sugar. Did you use that? Like, I don't know, with like peanut butter. I did not use that with peanut butter in a sandwich because I'm not a spy. Oh Hmm. man. I bet it would actually be good. I mean, I don't know about you, Anna, but I've heard you can do like pretty much whatever with peanut butter. Yeah. Anything you want. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, as a result of personal experience with, uh, having a picnic in which I, you know, tried to match anything possible with a peanut butter sandwich because I don't like peanut butter and jelly, right? But peanut butter has a lot of great combinations out there, like hot Cheetos. <laughs> I'm glad this is how we're wrapping up a podcast on manufacturing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, there's a relevant. peanut butter and hot Cheeto sandwich. The yeah. end. Yeah. yeah. There's a yeah. lot of, there's a lot of options out there. That's all we're saying. That's all we're saying. And there's no further story to it at all. All right. Well, before we get out of here, I wanted to thank our sponsor once again, Oil Eater. Oil eater cleaners and heavy-duty degreaser were specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used by industries throughout the world. The company's ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used with parts, washers, shop floors, equipment, and more. 
even if they're covered in peanut butter. All right, click the link below for a free sample, or you can visit IEN.com backslash oil eater to get yourself a free sample from the Today in Manufacturing podcast. All right, before we get out of here, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also email the podcast. You can reach us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Finally, make sure to subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters to make sure you get the podcast in your inbox first. All right, for Jeff and Anna, I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week.